welcome to the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. I am David Lindsay, co-founder, lead educator, and speaker at Phenom Leap Education. At Phenom Leap Education, we believe people have so much more inside of them than they realize. And through our services, we help them become the best versions of themselves possible. Beyond the individual, we also believe that company culture is such a large part in creating a business that not only survives, but will thrive through the tough times as we've all been through the last few years. So over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we'll be shining the spotlight on businesses that have achieved this and how you may be able to incorporate some of their ideas and philosophies into your business. Stick around until the end and I'll reveal how you can become a guest on a future podcast. Now is the time to sit back, take down some notes and enjoy this episode of the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Dynamic Company Culture Podcast. Today, we have Richard Blank, CEO of Costa Rica's Call Center. Rather than me introducing Richard, I'll let him go in and take it away, what, who you are and where you work. So take it away, Richard. David, so happy to be here. I could say good day, mate. I know that's what you do. Uh, I cannot tell you how happy I am to be here. I love the work you do. It inspired me (laughs) enough to write you. And this is where we are today. Love it. So with with that, I want a glimpse into what got you to where you are. Because being CEO of a big company as Costa Rica's call center, you don't just fall into that position. You work hard to get there, no doubt. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your past, where you've come from, and what's really helped you get to be CEO of such a big company. Absolutely. Well, it kind of begins back in Northeast Philadelphia, in the state of Pennsylvania, the Northeast of the United States. I graduated Abington High School in 1991. And unlike my friends that are going to the university that were studying medicine, law, engineering, and architecture, I wasn't sure what to do, David. So my favorite class was in Spanish. I decided to double down on that. And I went to the University of Arizona because they had a wonderful communication language department. So I was a Spanish communication major focused on public speaking, rhetoric, nonverbal communication. I interned for a company called Telemundo during college, which is a Spanish television station. And also post-grad, I worked for the importers of Corona beer. So I always had fun jobs with promotions, public relations, and sales. And at 27, I had the opportunity to move to Central America to work at a friend's call center. And just like yourself, I needed my walkabout. So at 27, (laughs) I moved to Costa Rica. I worked in my friend's center. And I saw ways to enhance the experience for the agent and for the client. Uh, Don't kid yourself. I didn't do it in my teens or 20s. It took me until my mid-30s, David, to be mature enough, have impulse control, a little money saved, (laughs) and enough experience to throw my hat in the ring and to give it a go. And here we are 14 years later. Beautiful. And I love what you say there, that that things like this don't happen when you're in your teens, when you're in your 20s. Like, I'm very much the same with me. That that time is all about really establishing yourself, who you Mm -hmm. are. But then from there, when you established Costa Rica's call center, what, because we're here to celebrate your culture, how has it been over the last two and a half years? Because no doubt the whole world got gripped by that pandemic. How did you overcome that? 
Well, we'd actually, we made adjustments, David, and sent people to home, and we made sure that their environment was correct so they could work efficiently. Now, call centers have the advantage because of the internet redundancy and the fact mm -hmm. that we have a backup generator so the electricity won't go down, and, and I have immediate IT support. But besides that, most agents did well. What, what I miss most, David, is the essence of the call center, the walking the rows, the breaking bread together. I'm very big on gamification, yeah. So I am a collector of antique pinball machines, jukeboxes, and retro arcade machines. <laughs> As and we so can I see created, right behind you. Exactly. It's a 61 Ricola right here. But <laughs> I created an environment, David, where people can meet each other from other departments, let off steam, recharge batteries, or, or even hang out with their boss in a certain environment that's neutral. And so I kind of miss that. Yeah. That got taken away from me. But once again, if you show extreme amounts of empathy towards people, you'll be able to work with them to make it through. So we have made these adjustments, but has it been easy? I can do it. Yeah. But really what I enjoyed most was having everybody here together so I could feed off of that energy. Yeah, and I, I love that because as you mentioned, it works from the top down. If you're there having fun and interacting with the employees, they're going to feel comfortable as well to have those relationships into staff. That's so how, nice. and I also read that you're very hands-on with training your staff as well. Would you like Absolutely. to expand a bit on that for us? Well, I would love to, and there's only so much time, but what I can explain to you is that we first discussed the psychology of selling. The fact that if someone's bilingual, even with a slight accent, David, it does bear the mark of higher education. Mm. So I will let them know immediately that what they have done to prepare to being in a bilingual job is 10 times harder than what I'm about to show them. Yeah. Secondly, I encourage them to study the thesaurus so they can learn similes of words, so they can expand their vocabulary and be more diplomatic and tactful and strategic to avoid any sort of rabbit holes, but to be able to expand their sort of expressions. And then I will make sure that they have all the resources to succeed. A lot of the times there's fear because they just weren't prepared. So I will make sure that you have your scripture rebuttals. We have a quality assurance department so we can listen to the calls and grade them and do specific coaching. Yeah. So as long as I can give them, David, positive reinforcement, momentum and wind in their sails, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to excel in this sort of industry. And, and you're not gonna believe this, that agents at a call center, if they do well, they can actually earn more than an attorney and a doctor in Costa Rica. Yeah. So yeah. I have some extremely talented agents that are at the center. I could imagine, especially with with everything that's going on at the moment a big thing that you mentioned a little while ago was that you can do it remotely but bring yes. them all back together and i didn't realize that a successful call center person can reach that level oh sure yeah no that that's outstanding well everyone talks about burnout and the fact that they hate this sort of job but i'm sure there's a lot of people you know that work in customer service for a living now what you've seen in the movies with the Wolf of Wall Street and Glenn yeah. Gary, Glenn Ross, and any sort of Australian boiler rooms. It's, <laughs> it's glorified, it's commercialized. And what I've seen is that a lot of times if someone is too well rehearsed, David, they become a print. They're yeah. not a painting anymore. Yeah. They've lost yeah. their raw essence that got them into this in the first place. And so I think it's very important to do active listening Really? And I also believe in positive escalations, because if you're working with people prior to speaking with the decision maker, I think it's imperative 
to let that individual know that you have amazing people working at your organization, just to add momentum, to show what you do prior to a contract. And if you happen to call back that company, that individual is going to say, Richard, I can't believe you complimented me to the boss. No one has done that. So David, it's really a Richard circle through, yeah. you know, manners and ethics. And so I don't try to angle a call and, and to be slick, mm. but there are certain ways that you can have a conversation to prolong it and to make a, uh, a client feel comfortable in order to be able to convert a call. And so those are the sort of things, my friend, where I just do not want to compromise ethics, values, and morals. It's not really about fulfilling the need of the client. I can do that. Yeah. It's really about the agent. I just want them to go home and tell their mothers what they do for a living. That's yeah. very important for me. And I, I love it. That side of it, where getting away from just scripts, because you can tell when someone is there reading of a script, they don't connect emotionally with someone. And especially over the phone, being able to connect with someone. And if they go off on an angle like that, like just being able to shift them back slowly, but not that, because I've been on, on the other side of call center calls and you can tell that they're just going one, two, three, A, B, C, as opposed to really taking the time to learn about me and see if it's something that I can help out. So I'd love that. And the fact that you're so hands-on, can you tell me in the start of the Costa Rica's call center, sort of the growth that's happened over the last 10 years? Sure, absolutely. And the majority of the growth, David, is internal because what I prefer to do is to delegate and to promote from within. I will bring specialists in from the outside and that's usually for the IT department. Mm. But normally I would prefer that someone start from scratch, build yeah. momentum, give them more responsibility and eventually they could be the general manager of my call center. Yeah. I judge them on merit. So it could be male, female, young and old. Mm. If somebody shows me this skill set, then go grow. And it's also the stability because I have more of a natural attrition, David, than a forced attrition. For an example, you've heard of Amazon. They're here in Costa Rica. So you and I compete against 10,000 of their agents versus my 150. But the difference is, as I mentioned before, the dignity, knowing their name, not treating them like a robot or a number. Yeah. But the second thing is with these very large call centers, I will lose agents because of a schedule, their university schedule. Maybe their boyfriend or girlfriend works there. Is it closer to their home? Mm -hmm. But David, the one thing that will never happen is that somebody will leave here saying that you or I defaced them on the floor insulted yeah. them, made them cry, didn't pay them. So I, I will usually get more of a natural attrition yeah. on how I go. But, but people have been with me for over a decade. And these are the individuals that represent this company in the best light and can mm. speak for me. Because once again, I am a guest in this country. And as much as I am bilingual and I know their cultures and values, I do need individuals to speak for me. Yeah. And these are the yeah. ones that I think do it in the best way. Yeah. And I, I, again, it's just, I knew a little bit about um, your call center, reading up and hearing about you, but just hearing it directly from you, it's just lifted it to that whole other level. Because one thing that I love as well is how you bring people up, you nurture people from the ground up and Absolutely. enabling them, not just that opportunity, but also visualizing it, seeing people that they've worked along with being able to progress up. So, and what you said that someone you've had employees there for over 10 plus years, 
So they were there just about from near enough to day one in the scheme of things. Well, we've so been 14 have... years and we've had people come and go. Yep. But as I was mentioning before, David, I would prefer to have a brand new agent with a skill set that's never worked at a center that doesn't have bad habits yeah. that you and I can mold compared to a hotshot that comes in and yeah. that might be a cancer to the call center. Yeah. So it's not difficult to train somebody on a CRM and a phone system. And as I was mentioning before, what you've seen in the movies or your impression of a chief executive officer, a telemarketer or somebody that runs a call center, I might be able to smash those stereotypes and to show mm. you that there is an individual that does care about their people, willing to move abroad and have this sort of positive reinforcement from Costa Rica in order for me to keep my momentum and continue to do this. And so it really comes in a certain circle where I meet the people in the middle because if nobody shows up, I have no company. And so that's yeah. the most important thing for me. 100%, and like you said, you're happy to smash it. And I'm telling you from my experience already, you've smashed that into smithereens. And oh, I love yeah. how you're going about it. Yeah, I see the gloves in the background, those eight ounces. We got to practice it in the bag, right? Yeah, yeah. because well, that, that's my background. My background is from fighting. And that's where I bring a lot of my ideas and concepts from is from sport. And I can hear already the, um, the not bringing in that hot shot. It's like in a football team or a gridiron team. If you bring in that hot shot from outside, yes, they might be fantastic, but if they ruin the whole culture that you've worked years and years to build up, and you said the perfect word there, cancer, because they spread. But being able to get someone that knows the culture from the ground up is, I think that's the best way to go about things. I agree with you. And, and also referring to your gloves in the background and your fighting, a lot of the times people see you in the ring winning the fight and looking like the champ, but they just do not see the structure and the discipline and the dedicated practice, David, that you and I have done in between the fights. You make it look easy. Mm. But, you know, once again, I believe that anybody that can be successful has to have that sort of mindset dedication for themselves because it's always that rainy Wednesday you don't want to get out of bed. It's that extra training class you don't feel like doing. I've worked an entire full day. We're on a podcast right now. I got more energy. I could do this thing for another five <laughs> hours with you. So I, I just want you to know that anybody, when they give themselves time for either meditation, for athletics, or just finding a way to find their center and balance, once you are complete, then your roots and your branches can expand and you can focus on others like you and I have done. hundred percent. And I couldn't agree more with that. Like you say, being able to be energized and be here in the moment as well, not worrying about what's happened in the past or going, going to happen in the future. At this moment, we're just in the here and now, and I'm, I'm really enjoying the process of this conversation. Oh yeah. And along with that, many people that work with you and that you work with as well, they know the CEO, Richard, but what about the Richard away from the workplace? What do you do? What are some of your hobbies? Because you do need that time to really unwind, de-stress and re-energize. Yes, David, I call that me time. As much as I would like to have Eastern meditation philosophy, I, I, I just don't have that sort of structure. So there are other times that I'm capable of decompressing, putting my phone away and finding my center. And I can name three things. 
I get up every day at 5.30 and hit my home gym for two hours. You'll respect this. I do sure. half an hour of cardio, 45 minutes of weight, 15 minutes of the heavy bag and 15 of the stomach and working core. Mm. And so I do this every day. I also have a very strict diet as well. Yeah. Um, and then I enjoy washing my convertible on a Sunday. I enjoy my <laughs> pinball marathons. And so by having this time by myself, it allows me to, this is the thing. There might be certain times in the heat of the moment, I might've overextended myself mm. or didn't say enough. And so it's better for me once in a while to take a time out to sleep and think about it. Mm. And then the following day, give an answer. And so when I'm by myself, being able to find that center, I can go over again, what I said or what I didn't say, yeah. find out the priorities and restructure my thought process. Mm. And so I think it's a thing of maturity. A lot of the times people have to give you the time to make that sort of educated decision. And if I can have that sort of relationship with people and even with myself, by having richer time, it enables me once again to organize my thoughts so I can once again do things with the best faith and the best intentions. Mm. And one thing that you said that I think is ultimately important there for people in the C-levels and all the way to CEO is some so many people rush decisions, think that decisions have to be rushed. And that's when... You know, we all make these little errors, but being able to take that time, pause for just a little bit and reflect. And that right. way, it's almost like the clouds, you do have those moments, I have no doubt, where the clouds open up and it's almost like the answer is there, point, pointing in the right direction. Well, it's very lucid. You can, yeah. And if you can look at things, David is an arbitrary in a certain neutral way, which I studied in college with these focus group studies. Is It's like surgeons can't you know, do operations on their own family because of the emotion. Mm. And if I'm able to do self-reflection in a neutral way, as much as I want to win, I have to analyze what I'm doing in my delivery, my rhetoric. Mm. It enables me to take a step back and from the outside in, be able to analyze what I am doing. And so if you can separate that sort of emotion and look at things in a logical way, most likely you'll make better decisions. Yeah, makes a world of difference. And especially being in your position as well, where you've got so many people's livelihoods in your hands as well, on the decisions you make influences, not just yourself, not just your family, but it has an impact on the locals and the wider community as well. So what have you found most difficult over the past two years? I know you said the having the, the separation from not everyone being in there, but what's a few other little obstacles that you've overcome? Let, let's just think of a cross-cultural, two-language sort of situation. Mm. Once Corona hit and people were expressing their emotions, now I'm bilingual, but I'm also not native. And so when people were expressing themselves, I had to take into consideration their feelings in their native tongue. And then I would repeat it, what they were saying in English so I could make my point perfectly clear. And then that 5% that we weren't sure about, I would then speak in Spanish, they would then do it in English just to make sure that there wasn't a miscommunication. Yeah. It might be double the amount of talk, but I gotta make sure this code red gets reduced. And I gotta make sure 100% that I understand where they're coming from. Because you were mentioning that besides working with me for eight hours, these young men and women have major responsibilities and sometimes multi-generational homes where they live with their grandparents and parents. Mm. 
And so by paying these bills and having job stability, I hold very sacred. And so my main thing is not how much money I make it, but it's how many families can I feed? And if I have that sort of feeling in the beginning, money will come. If I don't compromise my ethics values and make these sort of decisions that are rash, as you say, and quick, then I'll do well. And I always put the agent's consideration before my own, because I could always hire somebody and I'm gonna be just fine. But these individuals are in very delicate stages of their life. And, and think about this. I have the leverage of a chief executive officer to hire, to fire, make or break. Mm. I choose the former because I could walk on the floor and insult somebody and play big boss. But as I mentioned before, you judge somebody's true character when they have that leverage. And the most important thing for me to do is to encourage, to reinforce, yeah. to give more self-reliance and self-confidence. And my main goal is to literally be the last boss these individuals ever have. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, that's a great aspiration to have because for, for me as well, I just it sort of makes me feel good talking to you, hearing you say that. Because yes. if, like you said, it's communication is key in every element, whether it's bilingual, whether it's even just we're both speaking English. If I can't get my idea across, so adding that extra language barrier just makes it that whole, whole next level of difficulty that I couldn't even imagine. And as you mentioned right at the start, just the intelligence of the guys that you have working for you being able to jump from one to the other, being able to jump from English to Spanish. It, for me as well, I just, my hat goes off to you. The fact that you've gone that extra step that a lot of CEOs, they don't see the importance of that because they just see them at the top and then it filters down. Whereas from, from my experience, it's like you're, you're not above them. You're on the same level as them. You're communicating with them, which I believe that just increases the rapport that the workers have for you. And like I said, my background is as a coach. So I know with my wrestling coach, with my football coach, I had the utmost respect for them. So I'm going to do so much more for my coach because I care about them as well than I am for myself. And that really, like I said, it really just warmed me up. You ultimately have all of this power, but yet you're looking at the individual. You're not clumping them all together. So whereabouts did that idea come from for you? The idea of still being able to be on their level, being able to be in contact with them, make them feel comfortable. David, my good friend, it's very simple. It's the way that you and I were raised by yeah. our grandparents and our parents, your wrestling and football coach, my mentors and people that motivated me along the way. I'm old school. Mm. And as much as I want to impress you with some financial tip or trick or a cracked CEO code, <laughs> I'm gonna revert right back into empathy. As long mm. as you treat somebody with respect, I'll get the mutual respect. And so maybe these CEOs that play hotshot, they probably didn't have a lot of friends in high school. Mm. So this is the sort of way that they're going to make themselves feel good. And for me, I don't judge myself on how much money I make. 
I judge myself on how many lives I've changed by once again, you're mentioning that I'm one of the few CEOs that think like this and act like this. Well, maybe I can start a tradition now mm. of future CEOs that will work with their people and break bread with their people. Yeah. And so as much as people have gone to Harvard and Yale and, and, and can outsmart me, I can out sympathize them. Mm. And these millionaire CEOs or even Jeff Bezos, who has 10,000 agents here, not saying this isn't a brilliant man and offering positions here in Costa Rica, but there is one gold medal that I won. He hasn't played pinball with all of his agents. <laughs> I have. And so a lot of people would like to lose themselves amongst thousands, while others, maybe you and me, would prefer to go to a smaller call center where you make a much bigger name for yourself that much faster. Yeah. And I, I love it. Just the the impact as well. And being able to say that, say that you've played pinball with your guys on the call center. Someone at, as Jeff Bezos, he probably, I'm not sure, I'm just speculating. I doubt whether he's gone to every single call center anyway. So it's not just the fact that you're here on the floor with your staff, but he's so far removed. And I, I just love and respect that, that you're accessible to your guys, which for me, when I'm in that situation, whether it was working my way up through work or now being at that level where you start having employees, being able for them to come to you and even about things, not just work, but personal things, because whether you want to or not, people bring their outside problems, their outside issues into work. So as a boss, I know with me and by the sounds of it very much with you, if you can alleviate some of that stress, they're just going to be happier. And the, uh, the fact that you go that you want to be their last CEO, it just yeah. speaks about, like I'm here, I'm here about celebrating the culture. And it sounds like there's a cult, there's also, you know, the beanbag culture that Apple has. Yes. That's different again because this is more personal. Well, that, that's what I'm getting from this. And can you just explain to me, uh, the fact that you said that it's from your grandparents, from your upbringing, and that you, you can out sympathize the people that have their Harvard degrees, they have all these letters in front of their name, how you've been able to take that, your own experience and bring that into the office, into, Costa Rica's call center. I know that there's a lot going on there. No, no, it's, it, it's actually quite, quite simple, my friend. A, a lot of it has to do with active listening and being engaged in the call. Let, let me give you a fun example, right? Since people are working at home and you keep mentioning COVID, you and I could be speaking with a client in their home and you're in your home for an example. Mm -hmm. And let's just say there's a dog barking in the background. It happens on these calls. Yeah. And so what I've suggestion for my agents is inadvertently and passive aggressively, use a me too technique, just to let you know how much I love dogs and then the dog keeps barking. Then I'm going to ask what the dog's name and you're going to say Hutch. So I go, okay, why don't we put Hutch outside? And then you come back inside and then we talk about your dog for a couple minutes so we can anchor in. It's not my pitching and trying to get money from you or a contract. It's that moment yeah. that we spend a couple extra minutes on the call. So instead of making a hundred calls a day, you're probably making 90 because I'm on the phone with David talking three more minutes about mm. his dog called Hutch. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, that's when you circle back to me and go, oh, excuse me, young man, what is your name again? 
Oh, thank you, David. My name, once again, is Richard Blank. I'll buffer mm. Boomerang and send it right back at you. Yeah. And so that's when you start name dropping me for the rest of the call. And so you're always trying to find ways to crack the code and make the sale. I'm not a salesman. I like to believe that from an educated point of view, you make a decision. And so as long as I'm able to go 15 rounds, I'll take the decision. But at least yeah. let me go the 15 rounds and let me explain things to you. Or I'll give you another example. Instead of using the word help on the phone, I prefer that my agents use assist, guide, or lend a hand because it can reduce any sort of ego. And then let's just say, once again, that Hutch is barking and I can't hear you. What I would say is, uh, David, for my clarification, was it ABC or one, two, three? I'll fall on certain swords for people mm. as well. And as I was mentioning positive escalations, if there is somebody that assisted me prior to speaking with you, before even introducing myself, I'll mention how amazing that person is. I'll also, when I write you at the end, after the phone call, mention in a written positive escalation about this person. Mm -hmm. And so these are certain common sense, courtesy, soft skills that if you put around your main dish, you might just get full on the side dishes on how good it is. Yeah. And then once they're softened up, then they'll start eating your main course. And so <laughs> um, I just don't want someone to lie on the phone or to do something that is uncomfortable for them. But there is nothing wrong at all with doing active listening, repeating somebody's question, clarifying it with them, using a tie down question by saying, David, sounds good, right? Or it makes sense, right? And so these are certain 30 second to two minute checkpoints yeah. that people can do on a conversation in order to be able to control it better. And so those are the sort of things that can give much more fulfillment in their job. Mm. And those soft skills, it's surprising how many people don't use them. It's They just uh, stick to the script. And is that something that you really work on your guys with about developing their soft skills? And if so, how, how do you go about that? Being able to teach that to them, to look outside of the, the normal box? I love your questions. You are asking the best <laughs> questions. Thank there you. is a non-voice omni-channel support, which is picking up. Where am I going with that? A lot of people communicate through emails and chat, right? Mm -hmm. And so even today, a lot of your friends would say, why are you calling me? You should be you know, sending me a text. And so we're losing the art of speech as people are losing how to write in cursive. So I mm -hmm. suggest both. <laughs> but what we're trying to do, if they're just going through these sort of numbers, then maybe I suggest that they do a name drop more, which will get them in the now. Maybe they should be focusing on pronouns to keep your attention in the mm. call. I could find certain words that could be trigger words to get you excited. And so really it's just more of active participation. So you might say that it's a script. I see it as more of a road map. There are certain things you need to do to qualify the call. We call them KPIs, which are key performance indicators. And there are certain metrics that we study in our quality assurance to ensure that you're doing your job. But mm. that's what I pay you to do. What I want you to do is to talk to David about his boxing, about his soccer, about his coaches, and about his dog, and about being in Australia. Yeah. And then we'll close them. And those are the sort of things that I give additional points for because you're building that relationship. And mind you this, if I'm on the phone with you compared to just non-voice support, it allows me to do a client retention so you don't leave. I might get a referral from you as well. And yeah. also I, I could potentially upsell you 
on other services that we have. And if worst case scenario, David, and the plane's going down, maybe I get an exit interview and find out exactly where I could have improved mm. or what my competition is doing. So you're really reducing the quality, the value of this lead by only doing things in a non-verbal support. But if you're doing things in a speaking capacity, mm. I believe that slow down, take every single call as an individual call. And once again, prior to making a call, maybe spend 30 seconds to a minute to do some due diligence yeah. on a LinkedIn profile like you and I did and looking at each other's websites. So yeah. I could custom make an email, a presentation, or just congratulate you on an anniversary or a promotion. Yeah. And yeah, just being able to, instead of being just locked in like that, being able to flow with the conversation as opposed to just being super rigid. And have you found that that's something that your employees, they can learn and get better? Or do you believe that it's just they walk in and that's how it is? Well, let's use your nice beard for an example. <laughs> if you didn't have a mirror, it wouldn't be tapered perfectly. And so what I do with them is I give them recordings and self-reflection, yeah. self-study. And so all they need to do is listen to themselves. And I won't say anything. I'll just look at you and go, David, you know you're better than that, right? Come on, look what you did last week. You're out of character today. I just give them a little bit of Philly guilt. But it really speaks for itself because these tapes, these recordings, you can't spin it. That's you. And you know that if you interrupt it, you know that if you weren't loud enough, you know if you weren't polite enough or repeat the information enough, it's, it's on you. And mm. so at the end of the call, I'll ask them, what do you think? They could tell me any answer. I'm just keeping it open. Yeah. They in turn will then tell me the suggestions they would make. And then I say, okay, David, tell me a couple of good things you did too. And then they'll tell me great things they did on the call. We high five and then boom, <laughs> we're back on the call. But it's, it's really just more self-analysis. And especially mm. if it's in their own words, it's your mirror, my man, you can't spin it. Mm. And that is you. And that's what you need to work with. And so yeah. as long as we can coach them and talk to them, it's very easy for the agents to be at a very high quality, very fast. Mm. And what, you, what you've said there is, my, as I mentioned before, my background sport, and it's just about coaching, being yes. not Richard the CEO, but Richard the coach, yes. being able to do that. And after every fight, every game, we used to watch the video of, and seeing what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And mm -hmm. yes, you do need to know what you did right. But more importantly, you need to know what you did wrong. But then it's not just sit back and go, okay, I did this wrong, but how can I get that better? And just little by little. And that, that answer hit the nail on the head because I have spoken with people before and they go, no, they expect them to come in and do this, do that. Whereas to me, that's a very much a, just a fixed mindset as opposed as opposed to the growth mindset and i'm sure you know the difference of the two and because you've demonstrated that 1000% that everyone has that opportunity and possibility to grow hey david didn't your coach talk to you about the psychology of boxing before you put mm. on any gloves you didn't get to hit the bag or spar yet until the coach sat you down and talked to you yeah 100%. about boxing about breathing about the art of it and respecting the masters that came before you. Mm. And so, as I mentioned before, as much as people want to come in and punch and kick, 
they need to have the mindset first so they don't continue bad habits and we can begin a very strong way. Mm -hmm. And that that's why I mentioned that you, is instead of being that CEO or that glorified up in your steel, in your ivory tower, the fact that you come down and do take the time with individuals as well, no doubt that's why they have, you have such a great culture there because it's, it might only be a minute here, two minutes there, five minutes there, but then that builds their self-esteem as well and also their self, self-worth. And if you have someone that feels good, they, they can see progress with themselves. It's no wonder that you have people that stay there for 14 years. Right. That's correct. Yeah. And it's a huge compliment, the fact that they've been with me for so long. Mm. Remember, you and I were in their shoes one day. And I remember all the bosses that encouraged me. And then I also learned from some very bad examples of what not to do. Yeah. And I, I always said, if I was ever given the opportunity that I would make the most of it. Yeah. And you know what it's like when you devote 100% of your time, maybe not your mind, but you know that you've made that sort of commitment. Mm. And this is the sort of commitment, David, that I gave back to my 18 year old self that decided to invest my life and my time in languages yeah. and just to see where it goes. I could have gone to the U. I could have, mm. I could have taken a different route and, and, you know, it's almost like doing homework for the rest of your life. I, I wouldn't be satisfied. I'd be not mm. the same Richard that you see today if I chose that path. Mm. Yes, yeah, about choosing not the easy path, but the right path. And sometimes, my friend, if you can get past your parents' guilt, you can live anywhere in the world. And so you almost have to get past the naysayers and the gray believers. And, and it's usually the people that love you the most, David, and they care about you, but mm. they're N-O means they don't K-N-O-W enough Correct. about what you're doing. Yes. Why do you have these walkabouts? Why are there these vision quests? Why mm. do people go out to find themselves so they can live the rest of their lives pure. Mm. They can get all those answers very early in life, no matter what your age. Mm. And thankfully, at 18 years old, I stood my ground. And I realized that I was taking a hard route. Mm. Now, once again, I couldn't compare notes to people because no one was choosing the path that I did. But I did see the sort of reinforcement I got from my teachers and my peers, and how I felt about myself. Mm. I was feeling enriched. I was realizing that I was learning about humanities. Yeah. And when I spent my junior year abroad in Spain, I did it for two semesters from June until, until um, you know, the following August. And so I didn't come home over Christmas break. I decided to travel for two months and it gave me a chance to meet 50 people a day for five minute conversations all over the world. And so everything that we might've hold dear and to high esteem in Philadelphia and the United States, really didn't have that much value mm. when I was traveling in my backpack, staying in youth hostels and coming here to Costa Rica. So you, you really judge somebody by their essence, mm. not by the material items that they have. And so I think when you meet somebody in the world that does not speak English, but they're a professional athlete and they train, obviously, like I've done with the mm. second language, you with athletics, there's that sort of mutual respect because yes. both parties know how much time and dedication was put into that. Mm. And so those are the sort of first impressions that made my traveling abroad 
my integration in Costa Rica that much easier because mm -hmm. of learning that language and respecting and keeping an open mind for their culture. Yeah, and that that's a big step at the age of 18 to be able to, and courage as well, to stand up against your parents, or not against, but stand up to your parents and make that decision to go abroad. Because as you said, it's the people that really care about you that say no, because not they're scared that, that you're going to take that jump, but maybe that you're scared that you're going to fail and then they're going to have to pick you up or scared that you're going to succeed and leave them behind. Because that, that's what I've found from my own experience. But you said at 18, you, you went away originally for two months and then over the Christmas break. What's some advice that you, if you could go back to even before that, to a 15, 16 year old Richard, what's some advice that you would love to have known back then that you have now? Not to be so hard on myself, mm. not to compare myself to others. As I mentioned, I started my business in my mid thirties. Some people said that was too late. I said it was being too responsible mm. because you're talking about contracts and money and job stability. And as much as I could have closed the deal, maybe I didn't have the mindset for it yet. And so I believe that coming of age moments and stages of life. And so my 15 year old would definitely high five myself more on the pinball machine <laughs> than on being an owner of a company. I could say, listen, because we can spell center pinball machines. Tell me more about those pinballs. Yes. A 15 year old could care less about being a CEO. <laughs> Who the hell cares? They just want to know about the games and the fun and the yeah. fact that you know your people. And so by being able to keep that sort of young mindset and still having that sort of youthful feeling in this environment, mm. I've been able once again to stay true and pure to myself. Yeah. And so unfortunately, there is never a school to go to to run a call center and no college recommendation letter will tell you that that's what I'm gonna be doing and, and there's no classes to study. You kind of gravitate towards it. But mm. this is what I did know, that my life was going to be filled with some sort of adventure mm. and I had to do it. Or I wouldn't yeah. be able to live with myself. Yeah, I love it. And talking about the jukebox behind and the fact that I'm from Australia, I know that you're a keen fan on one of our big exports on in excess. Let me show you this. <laughs> that that's insane. I am the number one in excess fan in Costa Rica, and I challenge anybody. <laughs> <laughs> on that i will answer every every question you have of the band as far back as 77 elvis's birthday their first show at tim's birthday party when they were the farris brothers <laughs> vegetables to in excess i saw them twice in 87 in philadelphia for their calling all nations tour but then i saw them in july of 1997 for the elegantly wasted tour i paid a hundred bucks for a 20 dollar ticket to guarantee front row center. And you know, it's in an excess show, so there's no security. Mm. The stage was at my waist. I'm right there, front row center. And the <laughs> band saw me. They saw me singing along yeah. to every song. I knew every song. I'm having the best time. And during Mediate, Michael looked at me, shook my hand, looked in my eye and transferred that hutch energy to me. And I just didn't know what to do. And so at the end of the show, I shook John's hand as well, waved at the boys and Kirk and Andrew and Gary and Tim. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> in excess, what you guys created, the coolest band of mm -hmm. all time. I'm gonna say it, put me on record. 
in excess, I got 45s of my jukeboxes. I got suicide blind. I got devil inside. I even go back <laughs> far back is just keep walking. Who has that LP? I do. And I so I just it. collect. And trust me, my agent's like, dude, enough of in excess. I mean, how many times can you play them? It's my company. I can play them yes. as much as I want. <laughs> so at least every day in excess gets a couple turns in the jukebox. Um, and that's where we go. But I just wanted to let you know, I studied their story. I got to watch Richard Lowenstein and the stuff he did. And Chris Murphy introduced me to other bands that you did. Uh, I like the Divinals. I like ACDC. You know, you got Crowded House. You got Midnight Oil. Once again, I was mentioning Walkabouts. I was so interested in your culture. I was watching certain movies of what mm. you guys did. And, and so you have, Australia is fun. <laughs> and you really have a unique culture. And it just makes it seem like I'm not as cool. So every time that I can watch what you do, it kind of enhances my style. Oh, I don't know. I, I can feel the coolness coming across here, don't I? I don't think you have to worry about that at all. <laughs> but thanks, man, for letting me plug in excess. I, every time I speak to someone from Australia, I have to say something. So it must be done. So any in excess fans out there or those that haven't listened to it yet, you must listen to their library of music. You will thoroughly enjoy it. It's a must for sure, because as we were mentioning before, even now, Michael Hutchins' voice, it's just a voice that is so rich and it's so powerful and it just can move your emotions wherever he wants. Yeah, but you realize the story of the boys. They started off in high school. Andrew mm. protected Michael when he was about to get his butt kicked. And yeah. then all the bands got together, like, you know, a curse band, uh, Dr. Dolphin and everything. They all got together and they all started <laughs> to play. And Michael wasn't supposed to be the lead singer. It was Andrew originally and then went to Curb. But Michael was there. And what was amazing about all of them is once again, they stayed true to the Australian culture. They went to all your mining towns mm. so they can play all over. They're very proud of their country. And once again, when listening to all the interviews, they always were humble and grounded and exceptionally appreciative of their fans. The mm. fact that they didn't have security and you could shake the hands of the band. Yeah. People were even jumping on stage. I didn't disrespect them that way, it's their show, but it was just wicked. And so maybe for me, a lot of it is the in excess story mm. of, of staying true to your trade and not going to the U and being an accountant like Andrew was going to be. And Michael was going to be a professional, uh, I think, motocross rider. Mm -hmm. And they just stuck with the craft. And all they kept asking them questions. Why is the band still together? Did you ever fight? What's the problems? Well, you know, they're all human. Yeah. But once again, they made that commitment. And three of them were brothers. And so they all really stuck together as a family and toured the world together. And they realized that this was a very, very, very special thing that they were doing. And also the stars were aligned when they put out Kick and all those amazing songs. And once again, the videos that went with it, I mean, MTV really helped them out and the timing, but it just wasn't that. Michael mm. Hutchins was very unique. He was a poet. Mm. I mean, this man could write amazing music and anybody that speaks about him from Bono to Simon Le Bon to all the friends that he made in Hollywood, they all said the same thing, the nicest guy. And mm. he wasn't commercialized. He wasn't Hollywood out. Even though yeah. he was successful, one of the top rock stars in the world, this man refused to go on Rolling Stone cover unless his entire band could be there. Yeah. So that's the sort of man that you're talking about. Unfortunately, what happened to him at the end is very tragic and sad. Mm. But if you really judge the life of what he did, 
in those years, it was a wonderful 30 years that he had lived. Mm. And so every year, you know, with his passing, you read things online and people still talk about him to this day. Yeah. And I think it's very important, not just the music that they did, which can last all these years, but you were mentioning my friend, the influence that Michael Hutchins had. Mm. And so for me, as my favorite musician and as my favorite band, I really did do my study of them. And I'm so mm. happy that they didn't have a band breakup or people were yeah. fist fighting. No, they had this sort of synergy and each one of them worked together in order to make this music. And so what that did was it got to show me what was in the kitchen and under the hood of In Excess mm. on how it wasn't easy and how difficult it was to get to where they are. So my friend, that was just one of the multiple inspirational stories that got me along to where I am today. And I, you told me stuff just then that I had no idea about with In Excess. Oh, I got a thousand things I could answer for. Oh, I, I could imagine. And it, but I can see whether there was some power or something that went across when you shook his hand, that would have been an insane moment. But the way that you've explained it is, I can see correlations between them and between Costa Rica call, Costa Rica's call center. That yes, sir. You, that it is yes. that team. And yes. that, that's what we're here to really appreciate and celebrate because it is so easy. It would have been so easy for Michael Hutchins to go, no, I'm here. I want to be on Rolling Stones by myself. But the fact that he goes, no, not without my boys. Never. It sounds very much like you with, with your team. It's No, it's not Richard Call Center. It's Costa Rica's Call Center. And there's a vast difference. All I am is the front man. But mm. I have individuals writing the music and playing my rhythm. Mm. And so once again, collectively, it all works together. And that's why, as I say, we have this momentum and success. Mm. And, um, but once again, I love talking about that topic. It's very passionate for me. And as I mentioned before, it's something that's, if you listen to the music and the lyrics, it's very, very positive. Mm. And so it's, it's good stuff, it's healthy. But, um, but yeah, it's once again, this gamification culture with the jukeboxes, it, it allows them to listen to older music. These are machines that they can play here compared to their Xbox and PlayStation at mm -hmm. home. And, and so once again, it just shows people that this is a happy home. It's not just a work environment. Yeah, it makes a world of difference. And I didn't realize we, I could just keep going, but it is getting towards, towards the end. So. Richard, how, who would be your ideal client and how can people out there get in contact with you? Because I, I just loving the energy that you're giving us, that you're giving us on here. So how can they connect with you? Absolutely. Well, they can buy a first class plane ticket and fly out here and see me. <laughs> the best but, way to do it in person. Absolutely. But you can call me toll free at one 271 6750 or shoot me an email at CEO at Costa Rica's callcenter.com. We have a Facebook fan page where there's 97,000 Costa Rican Ticos that is going to love to meet you, David, once we produce this and put it on there. And so join that page. You will see what's happening, the pulse of the Costa Rican business processing outsourcing industry. We 
We're in Central America, democratic society, 95% literacy rate, no standing army, amazing infrastructure. And so it's a very great place to be, wonderful workforce. And finally, what's my ideal client? I guess one that respects the labor laws, that judges me on merit, not on price. And they're very realistic in regards to their expectations. And if I can have a forthright conversation with somebody where everybody leaves something on the table, then those are the sort of clients that I would love to grow with. Beautiful. I love it. I've, I've just loved this entire conversation, the energy that comes, that is coming through the screen. So I, I could only imagine what it'd be like to be there with you, to be there working with you. And as I said, we're here to celebrate companies with a fantastic culture. And I'll tell you what, Richard, you, you've set the bar high and I love it. I told you I'd give you my best and you deserve it, David. <laughs> you've certainly done that. I went 15 rounds with you, didn't I now? You certainly did. And it's about that longevity. It's not a quick flash in the pan. And you've shown that the way that you coach your staff, the way that you want to be their last CEO, the growth in there. And I just love it. And I want to celebrate you and the culture that you've created over there in Costa Rica's call center. Thank you, my brother. And my I cannot wait to put wind in your sails as well and promote what you do too. You do amazing work, David. Beautiful. And thank you very much, Richard. And this will be going live soon. So I'll just, and I'll just end the recording. so much for listening to the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight podcast. If you're a successful Chief Operations Officer, Human Resource Manager, or someone that runs a successful business that also has a great company culture, and you believe that you have a story to share with the wider community and would like to be a guest on a future podcast, please visit the link below. Or if you can think of anyone who you know would be a brilliant guest on this podcast, tag them in. And as always, feel free to share this far and wide. The further we can get this podcast, the more impact we can have. So don't forget to share this on all social media platforms and help others along the way. Don't forget to tag the DCCS podcast as I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. As we post regularly, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss episodes that will possibly help your business ramp up to a whole nother level. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping us get recognized and to promote the show. And they mean a lot to my team and I. If you want to know more, go to our website, www.phenomleap.com.au. P-H-E-N-O-M-L-E-A-P.com.au. Or follow me on LinkedIn and feel free to message me there. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to giving you more tips on next week's episode.